Section eleven of The Wood Beyond the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Corrie Samuel. The Wood Beyond the World by William Morris. Chapter thirty one. They come upon new folk. With that, they went down from the bent again, and came to where the pass narrowed so much that they went betwixt a steep wall of rock on either side. But after an hour's going, the said wall gave back suddenly, and, or they were where almost, they came on another dell like to that which they had left, but not so fair, though it was grassy and well watered, and not so big either. But here indeed befell a change to them for lo, tents and pavilions pitched in the said valley, and amidst of it a throng of men, mostly weaponed, and with horses ready saddled at hand. So they stayed their feet, and Walter's heart failed him, for he said to himself, Who wotteth what these men may be, save that they be aliens? It is most like that we shall be taken as thralls, and then, at the best, we shall be sundered, and that is all one with the worst. But the maid, when she saw the horses, and the gay tents, and the pennons fluttering, and the glitter of spears, and gleaming of white armour, smote her palms together for joy, and cried out, Here now are come the folk of the city for our welcoming, and fair and lovely are they, and of many things shall they be thinking, and a many things shall they do, and we shall be partakers thereof. Come then, and let us meet them, fair friend. But Walter said, Alas, thou knowest not, would that we might flee, but now is it over late, so put we a good face on it, and go to them quietly, as erewhile we did in the bear country. So did they, and there sundered six from the men-at-arms, and came to those twain, and made humble obeisance to Walter, but spake no word. Then they made as they would lead them to the others and the twain went with them wandering, and came into the ring of men-at-arms, and stood before an old whore knight, armed all save his head with most goodly armour, and he also bowed before Walter, but spake no word. Then they took them to the master pavilion, and made signs to them to sit, and they brought them dainty meat and good wine, and the while of their eating arose up a stir about them, and when they were done with their meat, the ancient knight came to them, still bowing in courteous wise, and did them to wit by signs that they should depart. And when they were without, they saw all the other tents struck, and men beginning to busy them with striking the pavilion, and the others mounted and ranked in good order for the road, and there were two horse-litters before them, wherein they were bidden to mount, Walter in one, and the maid in the other and no otherwise might they do. Then presently was a horn blown, and all took to the road together, and Walter saw betwixt the curtains of the litter that men-at-arms rode on either side of him, albeit they had left him his sword by his side. So they went down the mountain passes, and before sunset were gotten into the plain, but they made no stay for nightfall, save to eat a morsel and drink a draught going through the night as men who knew their way well. As they went, 
Walter wondered what would betide, and if, peradventure, they also would be for offering them up to their gods, whereas they were aliens for certain, and belike also Saracens. Moreover, there was a cold fear at his heart that he should be sundered from the maid, whereas their masters now were mighty men of war, holding in their hands that which all men desire, to wit, the manifest beauty of a woman. Yet he strove to think the best of it that he might. And so, at last, when the night was far spent, and dawn was at hand, they stayed at a great and mighty gate in a huge wall. There they blew loudly on the horn thrice, and thereafter the gates were opened, and they all passed through into a street, which seemed to Walter in the glimmer, to be both great and goodly amongst the abodes of men. Then it was but a little ere they came into a square, wide-spreading, one side whereof Walter took to be the front of a most goodly house. There the doors of the court opened to them, or ever the horn might blow, though forsooth blow it did loudly three times. All they entered therein, and men came to Walter, and signed to him to alight. So did he, and would have tarried to look about for the maid, but they suffered it not, but led him up a huge stair into a chamber, very great, and but dimly lighted because of its greatness. Then they brought him to a bed dight as fair as might be, and made signs to him to strip and lie therein. Perforce he did so, and then they bore away his raiment, and left him lying there. So he lay there quietly, deeming it no avail for him, a mother-naked man, to seek escape thence, but it was long ere he might sleep, because of his trouble of mind. At last, pure weariness got the better of his hopes and fears, and he fell into slumber, just as the dawn was passing into day. CHAPTER Thirty-Two, OF THE NEW KING OF THE CITY AND LAND OF STARKWALL When he awoke again, the sun was shining brightly into that chamber, and he looked, and beheld that it was peerless of beauty and riches, amongst all that he had ever seen, the ceiling done with gold and oversea blue, the walls hung with arras of the finest, though he might not tell what was the history done therein. The chairs and stools were of a carven work, well bepainted, and amidmost was a great ivory chair under a cloth of estate, of bordekin of gold and green, much bepearled, and all the floor was of fine work Alexandrine. He looked on all this, wondering what had befallen him, when, lo, there came folk into the chamber, to wit, two serving-men well bedight, and three old men clad in rich gowns of silk. These came to him, and, still by signs, without speech, bade him arise and come with them. And when he bade them look to it that he was naked, and laughed doubtfully, they neither laughed in answer, nor offered him any raiment, but still would have him arise, and he did so perforce. They brought him with them out of the chamber, and through certain passages pillared and goodly, till they came to a bath as fair as any might be, and there the serving-men washed him carefully and tenderly, the old men looking on the while. When it was done, still they offered not to clothe him, but led him out and through the passages again 
back to the chamber. Only this time he must pass between a double hedge of men, some weaponed, some in peaceful array, but all clad gloriously, and full chieftain-like of aspect, either for valiancy or wisdom. In the chamber itself was now a concourse of men, of great estate by deeming of their array, but all these were standing orderly in a ring about the ivory chair aforesaid. Now said Walter to himself, Surely all this looks toward the knife and the altar for me. But he kept a stout countenance despite of all. So they led him up to the ivory chair, and he beheld on either side thereof a bench, and on each was laid a set of raiment from the shirt upwards. But there was much diversity betwixt these arrays. For one was all of robes of peace, glorious and begemmed, unmeet for any save a great king, while the other was war-weed, seemly, well-fashioned, but little adorned, nay, rather worn and bestained with weather, and the pelting of the spear-storm. Now those old men signed to Walter to take which of those raiments he would, and do it on. He looked to the right and the left, and when he had looked on the war-gear, the heart arose in him, and he called to mind the array of the Goldings in the forefront of battle, and he made one step toward the weapons, and laid his hand thereon. Then ran a glad murmur through that concourse, and the old men drew up to him smiling and joyous, and helped him to do them on, and as he took up the helm he noted that over its broad brown iron sat a golden crown. So when he was clad and weaponed, girt with a sword, and a steel axe in his hand, the elders showed him to the ivory throne, and he laid the axe on the arm of the chair, and drew forth the sword from the scabbard, and sat him down, and laid the ancient blade across his knees. Then he looked about on those great men, and spake. How long shall we speak no word to each other, or is it so that God hath stricken you dumb? Then all they cried out with one voice, All hail to the King, the King of battle! Spake Walter, If I be King, will ye do my will as I bid you? Answered the elder, Nought have we will to do, Lord, save as thou biddest. Said Walter, Thou then, wilt thou answer a question in all truth? Yea, Lord, said the elder, if I may live afterward. Then said Walter, The woman that came with me into your camp of the mountain, what hath befallen her? The elder answered, Nought hath befallen her, either of good or evil, save that she hath slept, and eaten, and bathed her. What, then, is the king's pleasure concerning her? That ye bring her hither to me straightway, said Walter. Yea, said the elder, and in what guise shall we bring her hither? Shall she be arrayed as a servant, or a great lady? Then Walter pondered a while, and spake at last. Ask her what is her will herein, and as she will have it, so let it be. But set ye another chair beside mine, and lead her thereto. Thou wise old man, send one or two to bring her in hither, but abide thou, 
for I have a question or two to ask of thee yet. And ye lords, abide here the coming of my she-fellow, if it weary you not. So the elder spake to three of the most honourable of the lords, and they went their ways to bring in the maid. Chapter 33 Concerning the Fashion of King-Making in Starkwall Meanwhile the king spake to the elder, and said, Now tell me whereof I am become king, and what is the fashion and cause of the king-making, for wondrous it is to me, whereas I am but an alien amidst of mighty men. Lord, said the old man, thou art become king of a mighty city, which hath under it many other cities and wide lands, and havens by the seaside, and which lacketh no wealth which men desire. Many wise men dwell therein, and of fools not more than in other lands. A valiant host shall follow thee to battle, when needs must thou wend a field. A host not to be withstood, save by the ancient godfolk, if any of them were left upon the earth, as belike none are. And as to the name of our said city, it height the city of the Starkwall, or more shortly, Starkwall. Now, as to the fashion of our king-making, if our king dieth, and leaveth an heir male, begotten of his body, then is he king after him. But if he die, and leave no heir, then send we out a great lord, with knights and sergeants, to that pass of the mountain whereto ye came yesterday. And the first man that cometh unto them they take and lead to the city, as they did with thee, lord. For we believe and trow that of old time our forefathers came down from the mountains by that same pass, poor and rude, but full of valiancy, before they conquered these lands, and builded the Starkwall. But now, furthermore, when we have gotten the said wanderer, and brought him home to our city, we behold him mother naked, all the great men of us, both sages and warriors. Then, if we find him ill-fashioned and counterfeit of his body, we roll him in a great carpet till he dies, or whiles, if he be but a simple man, and without guile, we deliver him for thrall to some artificer amongst us, as a shoemaker, a right, or what not, and so forget him. But in either case we make as if no such man had come to us, and we send again the lord and his knights to watch the pass, for we say that such a one the fathers of old time have not sent us. But again, when we have seen to the newcomer, that he is well fashioned of his body, all is not done, for we deem that never would the fathers send us a dolt or a craven to be our king. Therefore we bid the naked one take to him which he will of these raiments, either the ancient armour, which now thou bearest, lord, or this golden raiment here. And if he take the war-gear, as thou takedst it, king, it is well. But if he take the raiment of peace, then hath he the choice either to be thrall of some good man of the city, or to be proven how wise he may be, and so fare the narrow edge betwixt death and kingship. For if he fall short of his wisdom, then shall he die the death. Thus is thy question answered, king, and praise be to the fathers, that they have sent us one whom none may doubt, either for wisdom or valiancy. End of section 11